children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. And if you would, um, whoa, there we go. Uh, if you'd open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, uh, you can also uh, go there on your phone if you want to work that way. Somebody uh, earlier this week, I was in a meeting and, and somebody said, you can probably tell that, that people are uh, using their telephones during church and they're texting people. And I said, oh, our people do not text during church. They are reading the Bible on their phones. Uh, so I was, I was indignant for you and, and defended your honor there. Uh, who, would, who would think that somebody would do such a thing? Um, no, they are on their Bibles. And so um, I think we confirmed this morning in Sunday school that the, the noun is uh, navigate. So like navigate to uh, this passage in your Bible if you're using your phone, or you can flip or turn if you're using a paper Bible. Uh, so uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, we are, uh, we are nearing the end of these sayings of Jesus called the Beatitudes. Um, Matthew 5, starting in verse 1, reads this way, Seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and uh, we don't have to look very far for examples of the fact that we need peace. When the angel announced the birth of Jesus, the angel said that in the city of David, a Savior is born. And that he would bring peace on earth. And the book of Hebrews says that we do not yet see all things submitted to Messiah's feet. But we believe that there is a king in heaven. And that he is a king of peace. That your kingdom will be one of righteousness and peace, Lord. And so today, we pray as we look into this text that you will help us to see, one, what it means to have peace with you. But two what your plan for bringing peace in the world is in the midst of all of the, the struggles and difficulties of life. And we pray, Father, that, that we would embrace the truth, shocking as it is, perhaps underwhelming, maybe on some levels to some disappointing, that your plan is to send your church to make peace. And so we pray that, that we would not walk out of here escaping the burden of being peacemakers, but instead that we would say, yes, this is what we were created for. And we desire to have that name, the sons of God, because of the work that we do in the world, bringing peace. We pray that you would help us, Lord, by your grace 
and for your glory. To hear, and not just to hear and increase in knowledge, but to hear and increase in obedience. That we might be those who obey what we know. Not moving on, searching, looking for more and more and more, and never putting into practice what we hear. We pray that we would be obedient. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You could say that we don't need to look much farther than the headlines or the news to see the fact that there is a need for peace in the world, but the truth is we often don't need to look much farther than our dinner table uh, to see that there's a need. Uh, A number of years ago, uh, my my aunt had invited us over, and we were there. Uh, this is, I was still living in my parents' house, and so my brother and I were there with my, my mom and my dad, and uh, my little cousins, Peter John and Daniel, were running around, and they, um, they had the early model cozy coop, you know. Nowadays, they've updated the cozy coop, little tykes. It's a, a red car. You've seen this on the streets. Um, little red car with a yellow hood. Nowadays, they've got eyes and a mouth on it, like it's going to come to life and like zip off with your kid. But back then, we knew it was kid-powered and, and was not intelligent and had no feelings, um, that, that it was just this car. And so the Cozy Coop, their house was big enough that uh, they were riding this car inside the house, and we're all sitting there at dinner. And uh, my aunt, in a moment, I think of, of uh, defending her family, perhaps, defending herself, said... Um, said, you know, my children get along perfectly. There's no, there's no fighting or rivalry in this, in this house. These, these, are, these, are, these are good brothers. And just at that moment, Peter John, the oldest, who, who had this wild mane of hair, like a giant, it was like a halo, you know, like a lion's, uh, it was just this big flock of curls. He's, he comes up behind the cozy coop, and there's Daniel, little Daniel in there driving, and he dumps the car over, dumping Daniel out the front window, you know, puts the car down right, you know, and opens the door and gets in and drives off with the car. Uh, And it's like, yup, no fighting or disagreeing about anything in this family. You are absolutely right. Um, You don't need to teach children to disagree and to fight. You don't need to treat, teach humans to be at war because so often what are, what are the, the starts of, of, of wars? It's, it's a desire to have a, a greater amount of territory or for some resources or they're, they're, they're reacting to injured honor. Uh, people naturally defend and make war. It comes out of who we are as people. What we need to be taught is the way of peace. I think as Americans, we, we can live in a bubble of our own prosperity and peace and think that violent times come on the world and that these are just episodes, that, that there's an outbreak of violence. Uh, but the scriptures teach us that violence has been with us from almost the very beginning, although it was not that way in God's creation. In Genesis 1, we see man is created at peace with God and with nature, and all is right in the world. Man has a good and positive relationship with the world and his creator. And then we see in Genesis 2 that man is at peace with himself, with his work, with his spouse. Genesis 2.25 concludes very similar to the way that the the creation of the world uh, concludes. The the world is called very good in Genesis 1 at the conclusion of of the creation. And then at the conclusion of Genesis 2.25, 
um, man is described as being naked and unashamed. The idea of, of being at peace and at one with his spouse. No violence or war or frustration or rage or, 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 or difficulty. There is peace in the world. In Genesis 3, we see the rebellion of man against God. The created order is upended. And at the end of Genesis 3, we see conflict with God. Alienation of the human being from creation. The, the blame game begins instantly. God says to Adam, what have you done? And he says, the woman that you gave to me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. So he immediately blames his spouse and he blames God for his rebellion. We see shame, distancing. These passages are meant to be instructive to us because we see human beings doing these things impulsively, intuitively, over and over and over again. And yet from the beginning it has been this way. Genesis 4 shows us two brothers, the first brothers. I have only one brother, and he is my only sibling, and at times I wondered whether I was Abel or I was Cain. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, the, we, we, see, we see there when, when the brothers bring their offerings and one is rejected by God and the other accepted that there is jealousy, there is anger, which overflows into murder. The first blood is shed. I wonder. It's not in the Bible. It's, it's, it's perhaps never been written by an author. But what must have been said? If you've ever spoken words that you regret to another human, you wonder, did Eve or Adam lash out at Cain following that murder? Think of the, the division and the strife between them that would have taken place. Cain walks off and founds his own city. And we see within seven generations of Cain, the first murderer, settling this city, that the ruler of that city, a man by the name of Lamech, is mocking the provision and protection of God. God promised graciously to Cain that he would place a mark on Cain and that no one would, would hurt him or harm him, that, that whoever, uh, uh, whoever brought violence upon Cain, that violence would come upon them. And Lamech... Cain's descendant says in Genesis 4, 23 to 24, I have killed a man for striking me. I've, I've killed a young man for wounding me. And then he says, if, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then I will be avenged seventyfold. And he's essentially mocking the provision, the graciousness of God toward Cain. And he's saying you know, that, 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 that I have murdered this man. And, and therefore, seven generations from Cain, I should receive a blessing greater than Cain's. Genesis demonstrates that the world is at war with itself. That the people, it is, it is conflict between man and man. Conflict between man and nature. Conflict between man and God. God looks down in Genesis 6 and assesses the situation. The world is filled with wickedness and violence. And God says, I will blot out man whom I have created. This demonstrates the seriousness of sin and rebellion. That it will not go unpunished. That God will avenge his honor. And he will judge sins which are committed 
contrary to his will, contrary to what he has revealed to man about the way that they should live. In the wake of the flood, as the waters recede, God calls them and commands the human beings to fill the world, but they refuse and they build a tower to make a name for themselves. They rebel against God and so he frustrates their languages and splits them into nations. Prior to this, though, we see God places the sign of the rainbow in the sky. Uh, rainbows are, are, are kind of cool if you stop and, and you consider them. Uh, they, they, they move, right? You know, depending on your perspective, it's like you might think that you can get to the end of the rainbow, but that's a trick that someone's playing on you. There is no end because it's just a, an optics thing. Uh, my wife always, she'll be like, <gasps> you know, and I'm like, what am I going to hit if I'm driving? Or I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, look at that rainbow. It's so beautiful. And every now and again, we'll say like double rainbow. There it is. What does it, what does it mean? Um, some of you get that and some of you don't. Uh, the, the, the rainbow, it, it, is, it is just oh, incredibly beautiful. Uh, and we can forget that that has a meaning, that it's a sign. We can just think like, oh, Instagram now, you know, like this is happening right now. Somebody will hashtag that and post it online, you know, and not, not think that what is being said here in this natural occurring rainstorm that God is reminding of, of his promise never to flood the earth and to destroy humanity as a whole again. That, that he has made a promise to humanity. He demonstrates first in the flood that yes, sin will eventually be punished and there will come another flood. The Bible promises a flood of fire when this earth will be consumed and all sins, all actions will be judged. But in the meantime, there will not be another global flood again. God is announcing there that there is a program, that he is going to do something in the meantime, that he's going to bring a solution to the problem of sin. I'm not sure how true this is. I've, I've, I've wondered since my seminary days, but somebody said that the rainbow, that it it's, could perhaps be a symbol of a bow and arrow, uh, that, that the idea is that God, as the flood waters recede, that he ceases from making war on humanity and that he hangs up his bow. And instead of hanging it with the part that the arrow shoots out of, forgive me if you're into archery, I don't know the name of that, that little bend in the bow, but instead of hanging it uh, face down, that God hangs the bow with the arrow pointing up signifying that he would take the hit in order to make peace one day. I don't know if that's true or not. So don't go telling people, this is true. Um, God's plan, when he hangs the bow in the sky, is to wage peace. He ceases from punishing sin in global floods and begins a program in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, of waging peace on the world. He tells Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. Through you, I will bring 
a blessing to all humanity. What is the, the, the unfolding of the first 11 chapters of the Bible teach us that man is at war with God, that, that we are here on this earth hiding in our caves and in our houses, doing things which are, are done in defiance of God. We, we fail to live the way that he calls us to live. We hold grudges. We're angry. We're bitter. We say wicked things to those that we love and even worse things to those that we hate right? You know, we find someone we don't like, we walk our dog on their lawn, you know, that's just the way that humans are. As nations, we do even worse things. I must be the worst sinner in the room if I can imagine this stuff, and you guys, you're never, you're never even tempted. You're, you're better than I am, maybe. Uh, I doubt it. Come on. I know many of you. Uh, uh, God says that he is going to make peace, that he's going to bring a blessing and a solution to the problem of Sin, a problem of human war against him. We tend to think of peace in a biblical sense. Christians have kind of boxed themselves in, I think, and they think about peace as freedom from anxiety, freedom from worry, freedom from stress. And yeah, that's, a, that's an okay definition, but it's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't take into account the whole sweep of the Bible story that man is in rebellion against God. Listen to what Genesis 3, which speaks of the universal condemnation of mankind, says about who we are as a whole, humanity. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the way we are as human beings. We naturally seek our own because we are fallen, because we are sinful. We don't naturally seek the benefit and blessing of others. We have to force ourselves to do that. And so God begins this world history spanning plan to bring peace to humanity. I will fast forward in the story of the nation Israel and move to the, to the, to the climax of the creation of peace where God sends objective peace into human history. We see in Ephesians 2.13 that God says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Think about the image of, of God being a peacemaker. Here we are, the rebels, right, behind enemy lines. These are our clear lines of defense. These are our fortifications. We have our weapons. We have our defenses. We have the lies that we tell us that everything's okay, you know, that, that somehow by doing good, we are good people and that we've not taken the bodies and the world that God gave us and used it for our own purposes and refused to address the fact that he is our rightful owner and deserves our glory, praise, worship, honor, and service. We've, we've dug in. We're ready for a fight. We're far from God. But in Christ, by his blood, he brings us near. He takes the first step. He takes the initiative. Why is it? That in my family, when I'm at odds with one of my kids, right, and I'm like, you know, and my kid is like, my wife is always like, go and talk to him, like, because I'm supposed to be the mature one, 
right? Think about the humility of God, never having done anything wrong, never having offended, never having hurt, never having wounded, never having truly done anything worthy of being declared guilty, and yet he is the one who takes up the peacemaking with humanity. Now in Christ Jesus, you who, were, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Speaking here, uh, Paul speaking specifically of the, the distance between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. That's everybody else. Speaking about how, how he has made them one in the church. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Yes, it's true that this speaks specifically of the division between Jew and Gentile, but in Christ, God reconciles the world to himself. He breaks down the hostility. He rushes towards humanity and says, I am willing to make peace if you will accept my terms. He abolished, Ephesians 2, 16 says, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The holy God who cannot abide any sin, who cannot stand for, for one thing which defies his holy will, his righteous, good, perfect, holy will to defy him, says, I will make peace with sinful human beings. I will pay the penalty for your sinfulness in my son on the cross. God is a peacemaking God. And so at some point, maybe it's today, for one of you, some of you, the peacemaker comes to you. Maybe you first heard the message of the gospel in 1955 or in 1968, 1976, 89. Maybe you had heard it your entire life and finally believed in 1995. Maybe for you in 2016, you have, you have never understood that you are at war with God and that even your best attempts to serve him and to honor him on some level are just seeking benefit that you might have more blessings in your life, not get punished. Instead of saying, I have misused the will, the talents, the body that you gave me and you are rightly offended with me. Take my sin from me. Forgive me. Can, can we be at peace? God wants us to come to him and to say, I've, I've done wrong. And then he explains to us in the scriptures that he will take our sins and put them on Christ and punish them on the cross. This is why Christians put crosses everywhere, right? Because, because that's the foundation of our peace and our relationship with God, that that instrument of torture and death was the means by which God by prior arrangement with his son, punished sin in human flesh. Because Jesus is the son of God, he's of infinite worth, and so he can take the place of every single human being. 
And so God comes to us and says, will you admit that you are a sinner? Will you put your faith and trust in the fact that I accomplished the work of redemption on the cross? And will you follow? Listen to what Romans 5.1 says to those who believe in the message of the cross, who believe that God declares them righteous in his sight by crediting Jesus' goodness to them. This is what Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's, that's how we have our sins erased. God declares us righteous. And we, we, are, we are free. This is like if, if I had run a red light, you know, and I went to traffic court, and the judge said, are you really sorry for what you've done? And I say, yes, I was wrong. And he says, well, I declare that you never ran that red light and he bangs his gavel. It's like, can he do that? Yeah, he can declare as the judge that I'm, I'm free. Now, I did it. But, but if somebody comes to me and says, you're a red light runner and you deserve to pay that ticket, I say, I deserve to pay the ticket, but I'm not paying it because the judge said I don't have to. The way the universe works is that somebody has to pay. And so Jesus graciously, willingly takes that burden on himself. And the father then is pleased because he is both a righteous judge and a forgiving savior. Listen again. Okay, Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're living life as a Christian and you think, you think, well, I'll just, I'll go to church and I'll give and I'll attend Bible study and I'll serve and I'll do all this stuff so that I can, I can be at peace with God, you're missing the whole message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that through Christ, by means of faith, we, we believe in what Jesus has done on the cross and we believe that we deserve to be there and, and we believe that God is gracious and kind and good and we don't deserve salvation, but, but he'll give it to us. When we believe that message, we have peace with God. We have it, a present possession. Paul goes on to say, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That is such good news. That through Jesus, we can have peace with God. Oh, peace. This is great. I've got all the peace I will ever need for the rest of my life, and now I can just cruise on easy street. That's not the message of Matthew 5.6, sorry, 5.9. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, in a sense, Jesus is speaking of himself here. He will be the peacemaker, unlike any other, other peacemaker who will ever come. He deserves the right to be called the singular son of God for all eternity, even though we become sons of God by grace. He is the son of God by nature, and he deserves that title of peacemaking savior because he purchased peace for us on the cross. But listen to what Jesus says when he appears to his disciples, okay? He goes to the cross, he dies, and he says it is finished when he dies, right? The penalty has been paid. What does he say to his disciples when he appears to them? John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Isn't that interesting? 
He's just, he's, he's died and he has paid the price for sins. God's raised him from the dead and he appears to his disciples and he wants to tell them what he's accomplished. I've, I've bought peace for you. Peace be with you. But then he takes it, he kicks it up a notch, right? He takes it to a whole nother level here to use outdated memes from another era. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus was sent by the Father to accomplish peace with humanity. And now Jesus sends his church to declare and extend that peace to humanity. He sends us to be peacemakers. And peacemakers are blessed. He says in Matthew 5, 9, those who make peace are the ones who will be called the sons of God. Peacemaking, being, being those who say, hey, there's, there's conflict here. Let's, let's resolve that and work it out. To, to find somebody who is, who is struggling with conviction of sins or who doesn't even know that they're at war with God and to say, hey, let me show you how to have peace with God. That is the work of the Christian. To be a peacemaker is how we earn the title bestowed by the Father, Son of God, and confirmed by the world. People will say, you know what? We need more people like that around. People who can calm things down. People who can, who can build bridges. People who can, can, can get others to see life through others' eyes, and to back down and to offer forgiveness and to receive it. That's the work of peacemaking. By faith, we begin following Jesus. By faith, we do the work of Jesus in the world, and by faith, we claim the title Sons of God. John 1.12 says this, To all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The Christian is caught in this lifetime. If you live between Genesis 3, when, when man falls and the war with God begins, and if you live before uh, Revelation 20, when, when God makes peace and, and there, there is actual peace on earth, if you live in between these times, you are caught in the middle of a war. But the Christian shouldn't buy in to the, the news media's message that, that we are waging a war. We shouldn't see ourselves on a war footing with the world. Instead, we ought to see that we are called in the midst of this battle to wage peace like our father. And that we're called to, to wage into a world that doesn't think like we do. That, that doesn't understand God's ways, that doesn't understand God's word and, and looks at life through, through, you know, just kind of on the ground lenses instead of looking at the world through God's eyes. They, they say, no, there's a war going on. And we need, to, we need to fight. No, what we ought to be seeking and working for is peace. Those who disagree with us as, as Christians are not our enemies. What does the Bible say? We don't war against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. There are spiritual powers and forces at work that want human beings 
to, to be fighting with one another. No, we're called to take the gospel message into the world and to be peacemakers. The first step in being a peacemaker is to appropriate peace for yourself. By the work of Christ, we're called to believe that by faith we are at peace with God. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.6 says, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God, but they're justified as a gift. And so, acknowledging and saying, yes, I am at war with God. I wouldn't have called it a war, but, but God's in charge, and he's the one who defines and determines what, what, the, what the terms are here. I need to submit myself to him and to his plan. In order to be at work for the Lord, in order to be doing the Lord's work in the world, we need to appropriate peace for ourselves. But second, we need to embrace peacemaking as a vital part of our mission as Christians or as the church. There's a rule in improv comedy that says that you are to embrace the danger, right? If you're ever standing up in front of a group of people and you need to entertain them and you find yourself doing a routine with somebody else, here's the rule. You embrace the danger. If, if you're standing here with somebody and you're just you're doing a little, little thing and, and you say to them, hey, what are you doing? And they say, well, I'm digging a hole. You know? You're not supposed to say, no, you're not digging a hole because you're shutting everything down. Right? No, you're supposed to say, what, what's the hole for? You know, and they say, well, I'm going to live down there. You're not supposed to say, no, you're not going to live down there. You're supposed to say, cool, what's that going to be like? You, you keep it going. You, you, you walk in. You don't know what's going to happen, but that's, that's the point. As Christians, so often we embrace the safety, right? We're like, we don't like the unknown. That's weird. I don't want to be part of that. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to get involved in other people's lives. My, my life is going pretty good. These people over there have problems. Exactly. Exactly. You've got problems too, but Jesus created you. You're his workmanship. You're created for good works in Christ, which he prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. And that work so often is walking into the life of another and saying, here's how you can be at peace with God. Here's how you can learn to love your fellow man and love your neighbor. But in order to do that, you've got to embrace the mess a bit and not just be committed to living a life that's, that's perfectly clean all the time. I don't mean clean in terms of holiness. I mean, I mean clean in terms of, of getting involved in some stressy, messful stuff. The book of Proverbs says, uh, where there is no ox, the stall is clean. To a farming uh, uh, culture, people understood, yeah, you need an ox. But where there's an ox, the ox makes a mess, if you know what I mean. That was the first principle that we learned in Introduction to Ministry, taught by Dr. King. He put that proverb up on the board, and he said, ministry is messy. 
You will be ministering to people who are a mess, and in the midst of that, you will discover that you're kind of a mess too. And God is going to work through you and with you and change you and shape you. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God. That's what Paul says. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's a code word for peacemaking. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then he speaks about how God made peace through Jesus. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says in Romans 14, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. As Christians, we're commanded to say, Peace is the way. That's what we've been called and commissioned to. And so we need to pursue what what makes that happen, what builds people up and builds up the church. Yes, that means that at times we need to destroy a bad idea or we need to confront someone in their sinfulness or we need to tell someone this is is evidence of the fact that you're at war with God. It's not always going to be easy and happy. It's not just like, you know, handing out flowers and saying God loves you. It's being an ambassador. Being an ambassador, think about the the difficult job that ambassadors have. They need to explain to people, if you don't come along, if you don't follow our path, then there will be war. Come on, we're friends, right? Yeah, we're friends. But that doesn't mean that I don't work for someone else who's going to come with bombs and guns, right? That's what ambassadors do. They say, hey, be at peace. We are coming and we are saying to others, as long as you hold on to your stubborn refusal to submit to God, you maintain your your sins, you, you hang on to your unrighteous ways. As long as you do that, you are at war with God. But if you will accept and receive his way, you will find that it is it is better, it is real, it is true, and he is good. Be at peace with him. And so, step one, then, is embracing that peacemaking is a vital part of our mission as a church. Embrace the idea that the church, yes, should be for the building up of the people of God, but that also involves drawing in those who do not yet believe the gospel, helping them discover the good news about what God has done in Christ, and helping them grow in grace and truth. It means finding those who are not yet at peace with God, knowing that some of them are part of the family and drawing them in. Second, embrace the idea that that making peace between people, between husband and wife, between father and son or, or mother and child, even if that's not gospel peace, it's a parable of real spiritual peace. And it's a worthy work. And so as Christians, yes, you want to get involved when you find out that your coworker is at odds with their child. You want to say, I know someone who made peace once in your head. I, I know how this is done. I've seen it in my own life because I'm at peace with God. What, do, what needs to happen here in order for these to be at peace? 
And in that process, perhaps you will have the opportunity to share the gospel. As Christians, we ought to love peace. We ought to love peacemaking. We ought to hate division and gossip and that, that, that sick and twisted feeling of delight that we feel sometimes when we find out that there's a conflict or that someone's at odds. That, that comes from the devil, I believe. We ought to love peace because our Father and our Savior love peace. Embrace the idea that all of the knowledge that we're learning from the scriptures as we, as we read through God's word and as we study it is not just for knowing but for applying in the world. For applying as part of our mission of, of being peacemakers. It doesn't matter what we know. If we're just going to save it all for ourselves and not extend it out to the world. Good news is for sharing. And there's no limit. It's not going to run out. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, sorry, we only had seven and you didn't get one. There's always more until Jesus returns. Knowledge is for sharing. Do you know that knives are sharp? You do. You live that way, right? You know that rocks are heavy and you probably shouldn't lift a rock that's so heavy that you might not be able to hold it for very long. You don't hold it above your head. You know, you live that way. Live according to the truth that you know. Good news is for peacemaking. Embrace the truth that peacemaking is hard. We've already talked a little bit about this. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone. Matthew 22, 36 through 39, speak about the fact that, that loving God and loving his way and then extending that love to others are our core values. This is part of our mission. This is what Jesus says. Teacher, somebody says to him, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Loving God says, it's my role to worship and to honor him. It's my, my job to agree with him that what he says is right is right. And it's my job to obey him and to love the good news of the gospel. And then Jesus says, the second commandment is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. You heard the good news, and by the grace of God, you believed it, embraced it, and you think, you know, you should say stuff like this, although it's awkward on your wedding anniversary, like the greatest decision I ever made was to trust Christ. The second greatest decision I ever made was to marry my spouse, right? You know, you say stuff like that. No, we ought to say, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, to know Jesus, why would I not want others to experience it as well? Bring that peace into their life. This, if we unite around it as a church, is a mission big enough to live the whole of our lives in. It's a goal that will require the work of God to complete it. It's a project that reaches to the deepest of our human needs. You look out there, right? And what are people talking about on the news right now? Who's to blame? Who's wrong? how we fix the problem, and yet, over and over and over again, all the suggestions amount to what? Nothing. More violence. It's God who's at work bringing peace in the world. He's the one who brings real peace. And so as we close, here's my encouragement to you. You're here this morning. Perhaps you've heard the gospel for the first time. Be reconciled to God. Receive the peace that God holds out to you in Christ. 
you may never have the opportunity again. Put your faith and trust in Christ and be saved. And you're here this morning, you've heard the gospel again, and you're like, yeah, maybe this is true. Be busy about the work of the kingdom. Yeah, the Bible uses all kinds of analogies of people sowing seeds and harvesting and reaping. Those are all symbols of one thing, and that's the work of the gospel going forth. People hearing the good news about what God has done for them in Jesus and receiving it. That's the work that we're to be about. It's important that we mow the lawn and paint the building and do all that stuff. And the building looks so good. It looks better and better every week. It's so cool to come up here. I I was driving in. I told, uh, I think I told Jeff Kessler this, that I was driving in the other day and I stopped and I looked and I wanted to cry. It looked like a park out there. That's cool. We ought to have good grounds. We ought to. It's good and it's important. But all of that is in service of being a band of people who say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That God is at work, that he's on a mission, and and it's part of our mission to maintain the building. But it is our mission to be peacemakers. So let's be about the work of the kingdom, reconciling men and women to God and to each other. We'll close with Jude 20. Uh, And then we'll pray. Jude says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. It's all over the scriptures. We are to be working for peace. So let us be called the sons of God as we work in this way. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share this word. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who who is not at peace with you, maybe they're not ready at this moment to make a decision to trust you, I pray that, that you would continue to reveal by the power of your Holy Spirit and the word how they need you. And I pray, Father, that that you would bring true conviction to them and that they would see their need for you. I pray for all believers in this room, Lord, who have made peace with you because you've made peace with them first. I pray that we would say, this is what we're to be about. Not just the accumulation of knowledge, not just the perfecting of a theology, not just maintaining that we are the favorite children of God and we're right and everyone else is wrong and the whole country's falling apart and isn't it good that we're still good? But instead, can we look out at this culture and say there has never been a need for the gospel like there is right now, at least not in our lifetimes. What a joy to be useful. And may we go out and make peace as you have made peace. And may we bring joy to you as we do it. Because that's what your son did and that's what we want to be called, the sons of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.